in the acclaimed movie, Crazy Rich Asians. Remember that movie back in 2019? Rachel, she's from New York City. She's dating Nick Young, who's this young, handsome guy from this uber wealthy aristocratic family from Singapore. Anyway, Rachel travels from New York to Singapore to attend Nick's best friend's wedding, also from a crazy rich Asian family. And it's the wedding of the century with Singapore's uh, rich and famous and all the invited guests make their way in. And there's this red carpet, you know, the red carpet, photographers, journalists, and all the beautiful women stop and people take their pictures, famous guests. And then Rachel steps out of her car and she begins to walk the red carpet. Everyone stops to look at her. Everything, of course, now is in slow motion. All the photographers, the journalists, all the guests stop and stare as Rachel walks the carpet. She's the most beautiful girl dating the most eligible bachelor in Singapore. And everyone wants to see her and everyone wants to be her. It's a fun scene. Actually, turns out to be a very sweet film. But it shows the fascination that we have with celebrities and the kind of lives that they lead that we all seem to want. This week's Parsha, Parshat Yitro, the Jewish people are assembled around the mountain. Harsinai are ready to receive the Torah. It's this great moment of drama. God's going to reveal the Ten Commandments to the Jewish people. And of course, the most famous way of looking at the Ten Commandments is breaking them up into two parts. The first five commandments, God is one, not to have another God, not to take God's name in vain, to observe Shabbat, to honor one's parents. Those are all relationship between ourselves and God mitzvot. Exception of the honoring parents, that's kind of the bridge. And then the second tablet, the latter five, governing our relationship with other people. Prohibitions of murder, adultery, theft, bearing false witness, not to covet others. And that's the classic. Our relationship with God, first five relationship with our fellow human being, second five. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory refers to another way of looking. Not as two groups of five, but as three groups of three plus one. What's the first group of three? A, that God is one. B, not to have another God. C, not to take God's name in vain. What's the common denominator? They're all about God, the author and the authority of the laws. The second set of three to observe the Sabbath, honor one's parents, not to murder. What are they all about? Createdness. Shabbat reminds us of the birth of the world. Our parents brought us into being. Murder is forbidden because we're all created in God's image. That's the second set. The third set, not to commit adultery, not to steal, not to bear false witness. All about protecting the basic institutions of society. What's society based on? Sanctity of marriage integrity of private property, the administration of justice. And if we lose any of these, our society begins to crumble. And if you look at the Ten Commandments in this way, three, three, and three, there's one, of course, hanging. That's number 10. And it demonstrates how almost disconnected the Tenth Commandment of Lo Sachmon, of not being envious or jealous of other people. Listen to the words. Lo sachmod beit reyecha, don't be envious of your neighbor's home. Lo sachmod eshet reyecha, don't be envious of your neighbor's wife. Va'avado, and his servant. Va'amato, and his maidservant. V'sharo, his donkey. V'chamaro, well, sharo is, is an ox. V'chamaro is his donkey. V'chol asher and everything else that belongs to your neighbor. 
Now, this command is different not only because it doesn't, it's not in a, a group with anything else, but it's the only commandment that doesn't involve speech, thought, or action. It's just an emotion. It's just a feeling, right? Like, and what is so terrible about jealousy? I mean, the prohibition of revenge is in the Torah. That's bad. People get hurt with revenge. But envy and jealousy are just things I feel. They're not even things I, I'm thinking about, per se, and I'm certainly not acting. That's revenge. And, um, and, and I'm not saying anything. It's just something I'm experiencing. How can the Torah forbid it at all? I mean, you can only really command or forbid something that's within your control. And again, why is it so bad? So first of all, envy, we know, is a major cause of violence in society. We see this again and again in the Torah. It's what the Torah teaches led Cain to kill his brother Abel. He was jealous of his brother's offering to God. It's what led Abraham and then Isaac to fear for their lives when there was a famine which forced them down to Egypt. They were concerned that Pharaoh was going to be envious, jealous of their beautiful wives, that they would be killed so their wives could be taken into the harem. Their concern turned out to be real. Envy was the cause of the hatred between Joseph and his brothers. They resented the special treatment their father gave him, the coat of many colors, his dreams of him lording over his brothers. Envy is ultimately what led the brothers to contemplate killing one of their own. The desire to have what someone else has can lead to violating other commands. It can move people to adultery, to theft, false testimony, even murder. Rabbeinu Bechayi, one of the great medieval Jewish philosophers, wrote that the reason losachmod, not to be envious, is the last of the Ten Commandments because it's a protection against the first nine. And so the Torah prohibiting envy, even though it's just an internal emotion, is therefore not just, it's not a strange thing. The question is, how do we avoid it? It's easier said than done. We all feel it. And maybe we don't feel it for Rachel walking down the aisle. Maybe we don't feel it for Jennifer Aniston or for some glamorous you know, person in Hollywood because we don't like put ourselves in that category. But we, we feel it when a good friend of ours we went to school or grew up with gets married and we're struggling in our relationships. We feel it when we get fired and, and my good friend just got a promotion in his job. We feel it all the time. How can we keep ourselves from, from doing this, from, from you know, seeing a friend who's popping one child out after the next, and perhaps your, your significant other is, is, or you are having a difficult time with fertility? So I have three approaches, three responses to envy. Number one is staying God-centered and not people-centered. It's precisely the first three commands which remind us of God in our lives that help us rise above envy, right? The, 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 the command to believe in one God and not to have any other gods and not to take God's name in vain, it, they seem a bit lofty. But think about it for a minute. The only reason we're here is because of God. And the only reason we have what we have or we don't have what we don't have is because of God. Why then do we seek what other people have? It's because we've stopped defining ourselves and our goals in relation to Hashem. And instead, we're looking at ourselves in relation to other people. That's when we feel the need to be competitive. Why we covet and envy others. Because we're looking to others for happiness and for purpose. We're not looking here in relation to there. When we learn, when we look, excuse me, horizontally, and our lives are too much based on what everything is happening around us and not happening beyond us, 
then we're going to feel jealous. And maybe that's one of the meanings of not to have any other gods before you because we make other people and we make their approval of us into our gods. And if we're able to make our goals and ambitions according to what we believe Hashem wants, according to the potential God has created for us to achieve, not other people, right? And not simply what's going to make us more popular in the eyes of other people, we will cease to be as envious and we'll be happier. I quoted this in my first book, University of Michigan. There's a study that they conducted showed that increased Facebook use decreases levels of happiness, contributes towards depression. Why? Because when we become consumed with what other people are doing, with all the fun that other people have, I mean, who has FOMO when you're an adult? And I'll be perfectly honest, I have it all the time. And it gets us down because we think we need those things, when in fact we're different people with different needs. So this is very, very important, is to evaluate ourselves vertically, not horizontally. And number two, the second response is really knowing that we can actually assert some level of control over our emotions. We don't believe this in our society anymore. We think we have no choice but to submit to the feelings and the emotions that we possess. And we often think we have no control over them. And the Kabbalists teach that we are not our emotions. We are a soul, and we can look at our emotions. We may not be able to control the ideas that pop into our minds. The Balatanya of Shiner Zamaliadi wrote this, that we can't control perhaps an idea that comes into our mind, but we can control what we do with it. We don't have to entertain it. My son Yosef likes to say, you can look at it, and you can put a little bubble around it and swipe it. We do that on our computer when we don't get distracted by something. Something pops up. Okay, maybe, I, I, maybe it wasn't my decision for that thing to pop up on my computer while I'm writing my sermon for Shabbat. But I get to choose whether or not I'm going to click it, open it up, read it, get distracted, or I'm going to move it aside. That's the same relationship we have with our feelings. One indication of this, says the Ibn Ezra, one of the great Sephardic commentators on the Torah. He says, a simple villager sees the king's daughter, the beautiful princess, in a world where social status matters, he doesn't covet being with her. How come the simple villager doesn't covet being with the, with, with, with the princess? Because he knows she's out of his league. No matter how much money he makes, no matter, he can't climb. There's no social ladder to climb. He can't ever be with her, so he doesn't fantasize about her. We only covet what we feel was within our reach. And we generally don't envy those we know we can never become. What does that demonstrate, the Ibn Ezra teaches? That demonstrates that our emotions are affected by our thoughts and by our own perceptions of reality, of what we think is right or wrong. And much of the current movement of mindfulness actually posits this, uh, this very idea that we can become aware of our emotions, we can look at them from the outside, and we can choose not to be affected by them. And so the Torah is challenging us to work on ourselves not to lust after, uh, after other things that other people have and to train ourselves to not want certain things, even things to which we have become accustomed. I'm not saying this is simple or easy, but the ultimate goal is to learn how to be satisfied with what we have. And that's my third and last approach. The third and last antidote to envy is gratitude. Gratitude for the life that we have, not when but now. doesn't imply that we shouldn't aspire for more, especially if we're coveting good things like marriage and family. 
or any other Torah values. Clearly, we shouldn't be content if we haven't achieved certain things in life. But something to keep in mind, never imagine that when you get that gift, whatever it is, could be marriage, could be children, these are all good things to shoot for in life. Never imagine that every other issue in life is going to be just go away. We're not going to have issues. We're not going to have problems. And this is hinted to in the verse, actually. Why does the verse have to get so specific? Don't covet his wife. Don't covet his servant, his animal. Why not just don't covet? Because you know what we do? While we might not want our neighbor's house, we, oh, excuse me. (laughs) While we might want our neighbor's house, we don't want his health because we see him coughing all the time. We may want his car, but we don't want his family dynamic because we hear him screaming, fighting behind that closed door. Everyone has their own package. And the great Ramchal, Rabbeinu Moshe Chaim Lutzato, wrote, he says that each of us has different imperfections that we were created with, and we were given a certain deck of cards, certain circumstances in our lives to help us perfect our imperfections. And therefore, that's why we have different set of circumstances in order to achieve our own unique goals. So this is interesting because we're always wanting someone else's life situation, but their life situation is not going to help me reach the potential that I know I need to try to get to because I have certain issues he or she doesn't have. And he has or she has certain issues that I don't have. So the Torah wants us to practice gratitude for what we do have the blessings that we now possess, for the life that we've been granted with all of its blessings, and yes, all of its challenges. And that could be one of the greatest struggles, to be grateful and content for now. Ezo Hashir, our rabbis ask in the ethics of our fathers, who is rich? Ben Zoma asks in the Mishnah, Hasamech Bechalko, he who rejoices in what they have. That's why we begin our day, Mode'ani, thank you God for creating me. We don't see Let me see how the day goes, and then I'll thank God. No, for what I have right now, irrespective of what the day brings, I'm grateful. The moda'ani and the entire berchot Torah, the morning blessings that we say in the morning, which I strongly encourage everyone to start their day with. Instead of thinking about what other other people have, let's appreciate what we have right here and right now. We should all aspire to do better, spiritually, even materially, socially. Without that desire, of course, we stagnate. And none of us wants to, to stay the same. The Torah doesn't want us to remain the same. But our growth and aspirations for more have to begin from a place of gratitude for who we are, for what we have now, for being what's called Sameach Bechelko, who is rich, he who is satisfied with what he has now. You know, we put that on my Zadie's tombstone. My grandfather, Harry Wilde's of blessed memory, was the poorest man I ever knew. He was also the most content. He always had this smile. He always spoke in Torah. He was always honest and straight. He was so strong. And he taught us, his children and his grandchildren, that happiness does not come from having, but from living a life devoted to certain values and principles and becoming good with what you've got. I'm sure when he davened, He prayed for more, for his family, for himself. We all should. And please, God, we'll all get it. But like him, he started his day. Let's start ours with thank you for what we have right now, the life we have right now.
is so beautiful. It's so precious. It is so deserving of our gratitude. Thank you for listening.